I want to begin with an observation that maybe it's just unique to me and things that I've noticed, but I think it's something that is kind of prevalent in our society. And if you are implicated in this, I'm not trying to point fingers at anyone. It's not my intent, but I'll explain what I'm getting at in, in a moment. And the observation is this. Have you ever noticed, at least it seems in this day and age, that when people are about to offer an opinion or to state a point of view, they preface it with three small words. I feel like, or I feel that. It's almost become a vocal tick, it's hard to notice, but I've noticed that that seems to be the way that people preface when they're about to say something. And the reason why I think it's important is because emotions are important, don't get me wrong, but because we tend in our modern therapeutic age to emphasize and indeed overemphasize emotion and feeling, the irony is that we actually undermine the importance of emotion and feeling because we think, we assume, that that's really what really matters most of all. Again, don't get me wrong. Emotions and feeling are important. They're part of our God-given makeup. They're part of the human psyche. And that's all good and important, but the problem is when we overemphasize these things, we end up underemphasizing them. And so when we live in a culture that places the feelings or the emotions as the primary currency, we actually become very narcissistic, very self-focused, because we equate emotion with the self. And if my feelings are hurt, then I am hurt. And if I am hurt, then that's violence and that's irreparable damage done to me. But the fact is, I am not the center of the universe. You are not the center of the universe. Our feelings will get hurt. Sticks and stones may break my bones. Words may never hurt me. Is not exactly true, but it's not exactly wrong either unless we think that feelings and emotions are the be-all and end-all of who I am. But again, this is self-centered thinking and it actually leads to an undermining of the importance of emotion. And I say this as a way to describe what we're going to talk about in Psalms 42 and Psalm 43, which is the depths of human emotion and of despair, of despondency, of depression. And I say this as someone before you who, because of my stroke, my brain is literally in a biochemical state of depression all the time. I have to take medicine just to regulate me to get to the point where I can operate on an emotional even keel, so to speak. And so I'm not saying this as someone who's trying to undermine feelings, but someone who realizes their deep importance and as someone who actually as a result of my medication, cannot feel the high highs or the low lows of life. But I also want to remind us that the high highs and the low lows of life are not all there is to life, and they are not what define us. And this is why our psalm for today is so important, Psalms 42 and 43, but I'm going to kind of treat them as a whole, because thematically they repeat a lot of the same uh, images and, and emotion that's in them. 
Just by way of reminder, we put the slide up from last week. I bet you think this psalm is about you. Again, that's kind of underlining that self-centered, narcissistic view in our culture where when we read the scriptures, we think they're really about us. But they're not. At least not first and foremost. The scriptures are first and foremost about Jesus Christ. And particularly, the Psalms are about Jesus Christ. But because the Psalms are about Jesus Christ and the fullness of his humanity and the fullness of his divinity, they are therefore also about us. But we need to put our understanding of the scriptures and our understanding of the Psalms as prioritizing the person and the work of Jesus Christ. So Psalm 42 begins off with that, as a deer pants for water. Do you know that song, that lovely, as the deer Okay, it's a nice song. But because it is so focused on the sentimentality, it misses what this psalm is all about. Because I wonder, has the person that wrote that song, as beautiful as it is, read the rest of that psalm? It's not this beautiful image of a deer by a mountain stream taking its fill of water. It's about a soul that is parched and desperate to know the love and presence of God. It is not meant to be an image of peace and serenity, the way the song and its melody make it out to be. It is a song of deep desperation, of crying out for God. And this is exactly why we read the Psalms with Jesus at the forefront. Picture, if you will, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, the Wednesday of what we know as Holy Week. Visually, it's quite powerfully portrayed in Mel Gibson's film, The Passion of the Christ. It's a vision, uh, an image I come back to quite often. But even if you haven't seen that film, picture Jesus in there in the Garden of Gethsemane. My tears have been my food day and night, while all day long my enemies say to me, now where is your God? Jesus is agonizing in the garden. Father, take this cup from me. I know what's about to happen. I am going to have one of my closest friends betray me. I'm going to have my followers flee from me and deny that they even knew me. I'm going to be tortured and killed. Why are you so full of heaviness, O oh my soul? Why are you so disquieted within me? Because God seems to have left. He seems to have forgotten. He seems to not care. My soul is heavy within me. My bones are broken asunder. My enemies mock me to my face. We know that Jesus never had a bone broken in his body when he was crucified to fulfill the prophet, but we can understand the imagery of his bones being broken asunder. Have you ever been in that point of despair where your whole body physically aches because of grief, because of despair and despondency? That's the image that David here is evoking. It's something that Jesus has experienced in those agonizing moments in the garden. Why are you so heavy, O oh my soul? Why are you disquieted within me? 
So the image of the deer is an image not to, meant to indicate that the psalmist is full of the refreshment. It's to indicate a parched and dry soul that is so desperate for water. So desperate for the living water that is the Holy Spirit to come and fill. I say to my rock, why have you forgotten me? Remember in the Old Testament, the story of the water from the rock. Moses hits the rock and the water comes out. I say to God, my rock, have you forgotten me? Where's the water you promised? I am full of heaviness and my enemy oppresses me. That enemy that we know as Satan or the devil has entered into the heart and mind of Judas will lead Judas uh, will lead a crowd of officers to have Jesus arrested. And all day long they say to me, where now is your God as Jesus hangs on the cross? What do the mockers say? He believed in God. Let God save him if he wants him. So you can see how this psalm is resonant with Jesus' own experience. Fully God, fully human. And here in these psalms we see the full depths of Jesus' humanity. When Jesus came to earth to live as one of us, he came to live as one of us in the fullness of our human experience. Not just the high highs, but also the low lows and everything in between. And who among us has not, with David and with Jesus, had these experiences described so powerfully in this psalm of being abandoned by God, of being so full of heaviness and brokenness that tears are your only food. And we know tears don't slake thirst. They dry out the body. They're salty. Desperate for water. You see the connection? Because these psalms are about Jesus, they are about us. And that is where the power of these psalms truly comes in. Because when we have experienced this despondency and despair, when we wonder where God is in the midst of us, there we find Christ himself on his knees beside us, in the garden, praying. In the garden, praying, knowing that his closest friends, who he asked to stay awake, to stay watched, to pray with him, have fallen asleep. Not once, not twice, but thrice. But you see the point? That even in the midst of our own despair, we find a God on his knees praying with us. So even when we ask, where is God? We find him beside us. Also sharing our grief, sharing our burdens, sharing our iniquities. So even in our aloneness, we are never truly and fully alone. In preparation for Mass, for Holy Communion, the altar servers and I, before every service, actually pray through Psalms 42 and 43. Not in their entirety, but sections of it. And initially, when I started this practice, I always thought, this is a historical practice, but I thought it was quite strange. It's not very uplifting to go into Holy Communion and to, to pray, why are you so heavy, O oh my soul? But then it dawned on me one day, 
when I wasn't particularly feeling it, when I wasn't particularly happy to be in church, when something had happened, I don't know what it was, but that morning I was just like, you know what? I don't need this. That line, why are you so heavy, O my soul, reminded me that these are David's words, they're Jesus' words, they're my words. And so by praying them, it actually helped me to unburden myself. So I will go unto your altar, says the psalmist. Right? That's what we're doing as we come. We come to church with all of our spiritual and emotional baggage from the week. We come because we are hungering and thirsting. Because we almost feel that there's no place else where we can go. Like those disciples whom Jesus said, and will you too leave? And they said, no. For you have the words of life. So the solution, the antidote, as we pray these psalms, is first to see them about Jesus Christ, who prays with us and for us but also to see that the antidote is to call to remembrance, even amidst our brokenness, even amidst our despondency and our despair, to call to mind the faithfulness of God, that I may go unto the altar of God, even to the God of my joy and gladness. For it is on the altar of God upon which bread and wine are offered, upon which our prayers are offered, upon which our souls and our bodies are offered in their brokenness, in their heaviness, that they may be filled and enlightened by the presence of Christ's own body and blood, and to be reminded that Jesus' words, I will never leave you or forsake you, must be true, because he gives himself to us in word and in sacrament. And so we come to him to put our trust in him, for I will yet give him thanks. I will yet offer up the sacrifice of thanksgiving, the Eucharist. Because he is the help of my countenance and my God. So why are you so full of heaviness, O my soul? Yes, life is full of suffering. We all share these burdens. We all have things we go through. They may be unique to us, but it is common to all people. But the difference is realizing that even amidst our suffering, we can come to the God who knows it full well because he has experienced it to the fullest extent and promises to never leave us or forsake us as we go through it. So therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of thanksgiving and receive the light and presence of God. Amen.